to me. Every time I turn around, cats got their hands out, won some from it. Well, I, I su- it sucks to open up the show on a little bit of a sour note. A little bit of a sour note, but a little, a little bit of a celebration of life as well. Of course. Well, look, death isn't a, um, a a memoriam of sadness. It shouldn't be. Like, for, all right, this is going to sound really dark, but uh, <laughs> so my grandfather passed away when I was a junior in high school, right? And yeah. my grandma refused for it to be sad. So we had this huge party afterwards, and it was, and, and it was a whole celebration of. Of his life, it wasn't meant to be about him dying, but more so us now celebrating his life. And and the same should go for DMX. Yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, DMX suffered a heart attack. Was it Friday night? Yeah. Um, overdosed and then was in a vegetative state for about two days, and then eventually passed away on Saturday. Yeah. So sad uh, story. It's a sad story. He was only fifty years old too. So, uh, you know, he was still still young, still had time to produce some stuff. He hadn't really come out with any hits and. Quite some time. I mean, X going to give it to you was what? Oh, how, 20 years ago, maybe? It had to have been. Well, well here's the thing. Like, obviously, our show is, is built on uh, the 90s rap game uh, initially. Our music. Yeah, our music, music of course. So it was, it was fitting considering we, we actually have never opened with a DMX song before because at, at times it could be a little too explicit for the kiddies. But, uh, <laughs> but, but honestly, uh, thank God that they finally released uh, some clean music of his on Spotify so we can play it. However, like you mentioned, he hasn't really had a hit in a while. Do not talk smack about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer remix. Do we have that ready? Of course. You know Dash River Dancer, Rancher and Vixen, Comet and Jupiter, and Blitzen. But do you recall Who's that? the most famous reindeer of all? Come on! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Come on, this is it. Like, like that is like premiere content. I, I mean, that's great. I but, like, like, you know, like that's the kind of thing that you want to see. Like pop stars do. You want to see them remix like those cool, like little ditties, cute, cute, cute songs. <laughs> and DMX, who's you know all about the dog barking, and you know comes out with a little uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer remix. I'm just, I'm waiting for the day that that uh, Waka Flocka does something similar because that's going to be ludicrous. Dude, Waka Flocka would remix like uh, Frosty the Snowman or something like that. That would be the greatest <laughs> thing of all time. Now, granted, we are what we're uh, eight months out till Christmas, so we got a lot of time yeah, before that happens. So I who can't. knows? It, it's very well possible that that it could be a thing. But 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 back to DMX. Like it's just a. It's great to uh, to remember him by this, and it's good to. Give him the love that he deserves. It definitely is. It definitely is. I mean, like, as a, as a guy who appreciates, you know, good rap, mm-hmm. he's definitely someone who gets overlooked in today's age. And but, I, but, he's a, but he's an all-timer. Well, what's interesting is, is like, when you look at, like, 90s rappers, you obviously think Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z, um, Diddy, guys like that. But you really do undervalue the idea that, that, that DMX, for a long time, was on the Billboard Hot 100 constantly. He was a top 10... Uh, 90s rapper, and yet no one really kind of mentions him. He's more he's more known, probably, in, the way I see it, for um, his cameo in Deadpool 2 than he is as a 90s rapper. <laughs> like, and, and even that was just a song. It wasn't even him really really on camera outside of one second. So, like, I, I don't know. I think he, he gets so undervalued. But now, much like a lot of artists who, uh, who die young, well, he was 50 years old, however, um, not as young as others like Juice World and on X, but... He is. He's definitely going to get, going to get his uh, his due when it comes to when it comes to music. Because obviously, every single time a 
uh, a young artist dies, their music tends to blow up. Like Juice World has been all over the charts. Oh yeah, and even Post Mortem has been probably one of the top ten rappers Pop smoke too. in the game. Exactly. So I expect uh, DMX to make to make a revival in the rap in, in, the, in the rap industry. We don't know if he has yeah. anything. Uh, pre-release that he never actually got out well i I remember i remember when prince died not that long ago Mm -hmm. that his stuff went right back up yeah like michael jackson when he died prior to his documentary uh, being released his music was like was one through like 20 in the hot 100 yeah for like two weeks so so it's gonna happen it's 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 his bag it's his time there is a little bit of a there's a little bit of a of a of a downside to that though and that is while the streams are happening for dmx He's not collecting the dollars. Well, it it depends. So, and this is going back to our uh, our business talk that we always manage to squeak into the show. <laughs> this Dep- is your lesson for the day, Jared. Depending on if he has royalty deals with these uh, with the, his uh, his record company, I don't know who, who it is exactly, but let's say it's like Capitol Records. If he has a royalty deal, he will get the money on it. If Capitol Records owns it, they're going to make the money. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a downside in that case. But it, it it's like anything else, like it, like. Do you know the guys at the YMCA, the village people? Mm-hmm. They have no rights to the YMCA. Their 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 records deal ha- is all the money that goes that goes to them, billions of dollars. Because think about it: every children's birthday party, every communion, every wedding, every baseball, every Yankee game in the seventh inning plays plays the YMCA. The the, the record industry is making yeah, the money. Not the field. They all play YMCA. exactly. So like stuff like that. But who knows? DMX might have a. Uh, a deal, who knows, hopefully. I mean, I just know that, like, when, when X when X died and he came out with his post-mortem, that, like, all the money went to the label. Yeah. And, like, and like you'd, you'd rather see that money go somewhere else. To the like, family. To, like, his family. Charity, like, exactly. some of that. So, who knows? It's possible. Um, it's millions of dollars. It is. And it's a lot. The music industry gen- generates a lot of money. Well, think about it. For a long time, Taylor Swift had had a problem because she wasn't making any money uh, with her music on Spotify. That, that's why it like went Beyonce off. Beyonce. Yeah. Jay Z started his own uh, started his own yeah, streaming title. service. Remember that? Yeah. That didn't work out too well. No. Not, uh, <laughs> he eventually caved and I remember. He got back on the, I remember. Uh, I, I downloaded it because they they were the exclusive holder to uh, to watch the throne with him and Kanye. And I was like, ooh, I really want to like listen to it. So I downloaded it for like two weeks, and then it ended up going on Spotify, and I was like, oh, well, all right, t- t- time to bail on this one. Well, you you had switched over to Apple Music, I remember. Uh, I, I, I've, I've, I've done it like three times. Like I've been, I was in, I was Apple Music in high school, switched over uh, actually freshman year in the spring uh, because I did a marketing uh, paper on Apple Music versus Spotify, and I realized Spotify was way better. Oh, everyone realizes Spotify. Also, the three partners that, that I had in the group all use Spotify, and they kind of showed me the way. So I was like, all right, yeah, cool. And then once uh, once Jay-Z stuff left Spotify, I said, okay, I'm going to go back to Apple because they had it for a little bit too. Mm-hmm. And also Apple ha- had Beats Radio. They had the exclusives with like Drake and Kanye and uh, and the early releases. So I went back to Apple Music, and now I'm back to Spotify again. So yeah, And then, of course, my two-week title wave. Well, speaking of uh, Apple Music, we just got these new headphones in studio. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, holy cow, how great are these things? They are by far the best we've had so far. I, I Shout out to Andrew White because he uh, he found a little extra dough in the bag in the, in, the, in the waiting room. So he was like, you know what, let's let's splurge on some nice beats. Well, now this kind of segues well before we end up uh, actually going into the show, considering we're seven minutes in already. Uh, Jack Main, the new general manager of WQAQ, as of... 
what, last weekend? Yes, last so, weekend. Thank you very much. Of course, we've been in quarantine because uh, Mr. Jack doesn't know how to avoid the COVID bug for the second that's, time that's this not, year. That wasn't my fault. No, not my fault. But no, I, no, I, it wasn't your fault. But <laughs> but two weeks off the air, kind of, it, it, it does things to you. I, I feel like we were three weeks off the air. I think we missed the show before I went into quarantine, and then we missed the two that I was in quarantine. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we... we We've been rogue. We apologize for that. Yeah. But hey, we're back. We got we got, back we got a couple of unreleased episodes that finally hit the airwaves. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know we're probably going to recap that a little bit. Of I course. Think we'll probably just start the show at this point, shouldn't yeah. we? Not. Let's go for it. You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the tiger? a.m. on a Monday morning. We are back in studio after a three-week hiatus. Stephen McAvoy, Jack Maine, you're listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Jack, we're back. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, and we are back to bring you everything. We have missed, oh, here we go, two weeks of baseball, the NBA trade deadline, the NHL trade trade deadline's coming up, the Masters happened this weekend, Deshaun Watson's in hot water as per usual, and we have so much to debate, including a fun little debate that my friends who are currently listening, uh, we were talking about it the other day. We're going to get into that at the top of the hour at 11 o'clock. But, Jack, we're going to start here with the Masters yeah. because, because it's the biggest news story to probably break since Deshaun Watson's uh, sexual, abu- uh, sexual assault trial, potential trial. So the Masters, Hideki Matsuyama, who most people have never even heard of, came in. He was a low amateur in 2011, which is the best amateur in the field at the Masters. He won the award. Only seven, well, six, now seven, have won the low amateur. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Jack Nicklaus, they're all, not, they're all on the list. So it's a very elite grouping. The only to win the low am and also win the Masters. No. They're three of six to, to, to ever do it. Sergio Garcia is another one as well as a couple others from, from back in the day. I think, they, they think uh, Ben Crenshaw is on the list. Okay. So only six had, had ever done it. Hideki Matsuyama had a history of choking in the U.S. Open last year. He came in with, uh, he was tied for third, and he finished 17th because he had a double bogey, triple bogey, bogey in the first three holes, and nothing ever panned out from there on. So he had a history of choking. Yep. The question was, who's going catch to catch up to him? It was Andrew Shoffley it was in the mix. Jordan Spieth was there. Justin Rose, Mark Leishman, you name it, they were all there. But at the end of the day, Hideki Matsuyama finished at one over to win the Masters. The first Japanese player to ever win the Masters. Actually, the second technically, because a week prior in the LPGA, a Japanese woman also won the title. So two Japanese players swept the Masters this weekend with the Olympics coming up. There's a lot of storylines. That's pretty crazy. I mean, just to think about it, I mean, uh, Matsuyama, he finished one over in the fourth round, which means that he he had enough of a lead because... 
Uh, oh, jeez, I'm going to... Will Zalatoris. I already knew it was going to come. He, he finished two under in the fourth round. What's ironic and is, still actually... still wasn't able to catch up, but it was just a one-stroke finish. Well, what's funny is, it, it, is that... And, and people, are gonna, people are going to forget this because... It, because uh, as as an avid golfer and someone who has been watching this for years, avid golfer, what do you shoot? Like one twenty? Uh, I I break a hundred every now and then. So, <laughs> hey, look, yeah, I'm, when you when your foot feels extra kicky. Hey, avid golfer, I never said it was good. So Hideki Matsuyama came into the back nine. He had a two stroke lead on Xander Shoffley, and they were basically going head to head until the fifteenth hole, which or sorry, the sixteenth hole, which is like the big par three that everyone uh, aces. Tommy Fleetwood had one on Friday. Justin Thomas had one before um, in the popular part three contest that you watched before the Masters. Jack Nicholas's son had one of the iconic moments uh, in the caddy outfit there on 16. So it's a big time hole to get ahead. And usually, for the most part, it's very hard to bogey the hole considering the hole location on Sunday. But Xander Shoffley left it short and it landed in the water. Do you know it was the first time? On 16, that a, that a ball landed in the water on the par three in the final round since 1971. So Xander Shoffley literally blew his game. Following actually the, the whole prior, Hideki Matsuyama bogeyed the hole because he had a water ball uh, on his approach shot. So Matsuyama bogeyed three of the final four holes and still managed to win. So that in and of itself is impressive, and it was kind of funny because on that on that 18th hole, he missed the par putt to win the Masters, kind of shrugged it off, kind of joked a little bit, and finally knocked in the, the uh, short two-incher for the win. But it was a very funny moment Jeez. for him. Yeah, so it was a tight tournament. It was a very, very entertaining entertaining one at that. I sat literally on the couch for four days watching it. But the big storyline that I'm going to ask the first question with you is, is that now that he's won, and, and the Olympics is coming up this summer in Tokyo, where he's from, in mm-hmm. Japan, how important is it now that... For the first time, we now have a Masters champion who's from Japan, yep. and now he's going to play for his home country in, uh, in Tokyo for for the Olympics in golf, obviously. How important is this now for A, Japanese golf, and B, just the PGA in general? I think it's extremely important. It grows the international audience for uh, American golf and also for um, you know international golf. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that's the most important part. You know, we, we hear all the time, you know, you got to grow the game. It, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, you grow the game. And golf's one of those sports where, yeah, it's nationally broadcasted, commercial-free um, for everyone to tune into. But you really, it takes us. It, 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 not everybody can tune in to watch eighteen holes of golf. It's a long time. It's a very slow game. It's too. a very slow game, and and you have to have a very keen sense of awareness when you're watching golf because. As anybody knows, you know myself included, because I I, I dabble I dabble with the uh, with the seven irons every now and again. Uh, it's extremely hard to hit a golf ball straight. Oh yeah. Oh my God, is it hard? And so people don't really understand that golf is more of a mental game than it is a physical oh, of game. Of course. And, uh, and for you know for Matsuyama to to win an American tournament to then go and you know he'll follow that up with with whatever performance he has in the Olympics. You know he's going. He's going home a hero. Uh, he's going home somebody uh, that is going to continue to grow uh, American television, American sports, but then also help grow it in his own country. Well, Jim Nance, I think, said it best. He said going into the tournament because he had a he had a thing a three or four stroke lead uh, coming in. He said that Hideki Matsuyama. First of all, he teed off at two forty. So the first tee time was at nine forty in the morning. The man had to wait five hours. 
you wake up, you go, to, you go to the course, you you putt for about, for about an hour, you go to the range, you do your thing, but all this time you're like, wow, I I have a lead at the biggest tournament in the world. Yeah, you can't like, psych yourself out. Like you are nervous. Not to mention, also, this is another great storyline that his caddy actually isn't even a caddy. So you so, so caddies to become one, you have to you have to like take tests and, and stuff to actually be certified on the PGA Tour, but. Uh, Matiama's caddy had to actually bail from the tournament about, about two weeks ago. So his friend from back home, that, that, that used to go with him as kids, not even a real caddy, someone who has never seen Augusta National, the hardest golf course in the world, <laughs> said, all right, I'll go, I'll go, I, I will join you in the bag, and they won the Masters together. Like, it, like that in and of itself, the fact that someone who, who there are a lot of guys who have, who have been to 10, 11, 12 Masters, Phil Mickelson's brother, Tim, who's, who's on the back of him, has been to 20 Masters with him. And even then, they barely broke par. Oh, I know Dustin Johnson's brother was his caddy when he won back exactly. in November. So, like, but but again, they are certified caddies. This guy had had no idea, not 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 no idea what he was doing, but he wasn't as nearly as experienced as, as anybody else in the field. But you're right. The big thing with Matsuyama is that that it grows the game, and I think this is a important thing to know. Back in '92, when uh, when Jordan and Bird and and Johnson went to go to uh, in, in uh, Barcelona. For the, for, for the Olympics. The dream team. Yeah, the dream team. That was the, the first time the NBA really became the world game. Because prior to that, obviously, they, they, they only had college players playing, and it wasn't as competitive. But then once they came to town, it was like, oh, my God, this is like the greatest basketball team to ever play basketball. Like, mm-hmm. literally, you had, the, you had 20 All-Stars who all could have been MVP candidates in every single country that, that, that played outside of maybe uh, Croatia because they had uh, Tony Kukoc. Tony Kukoc, yes. But, like... But that from that point on, it became a world game. The World Baseball Classic, despite it not really being a uh, a must-watch TV for a lot of people, it's still growing the game of baseball, considering you're showing off the skill set of Puerto Rican players, Dominican players, Japanese players, so on and so forth. American players. Yes. Well, there's a lot more Puerto Rican and Dominican talent than there is American. However, the, the Americans just won the World Baseball Classic. I know. But the, but the big story here is, is that it grows the game. In the NFL, there really isn't a lot of growth in, in the NFL. It's just it's, all, it's mostly all American players. Right. You don't see you don't see Japanese players on the field. You might see a couple of French or German, depending on on who it is. But but most of them converted from rugby over over football. Golf has been this world sport where there are there are Europeans on tour, there are Asians on tour, but there aren't nearly as many. There are only four Asian players in the field at the Masters. There are only five English players. There are only three Australian players. And then the rest was all was all American, and then, then a couple of uh, South African and Scottish and Irish and so on. So now this is going to really end up growing the game a lot more. I'm hoping there, there's a lot more Japanese players that are going to come into the flux. Yep. Uh, Jim Nance said that the land of the rising sun, Japan, is a huge golf nation. It just so happens that they don't have the tools to produce these big-time golfers. Matsuyama has been, been in the States forever. So it's, it's very interesting how um, the dynamics are going to change, and hopefully by the Olympics it's going to become a much bigger deal. I, I, I hope it does. Uh, just because of the fact that, like, again, like it takes a very, it takes a special person to be able to watch as much golf as, as you watch. And I, I can't tell you right now that I'm the most avid golf watcher. I, I'll admit that. But, uh, you know, I definitely get excited by it now that I've gotten past my, past my baseball days. Uh, and so one of the, one of the, one of the key points to, to watching golf is just making sure that you are aware of all, you know, 70 players that are, in the field on the very last day, right? Yeah. So, um, in in my in my in my heart of hearts, I do believe that this was this was probably the best case scenario for 
this round of the Masters, it was a little disappointing to see Dustin Johnson not uh, pick up where he left off from November. I was really hoping that because there was such a short gap between uh, November and April that he was going to still be at the top of his at the top mm-hmm. of his field. So, well, the, com- the the competition was much different than it was in November, but that's a lot of analytics and uh, knowledge about grass. Which uh, I actually wrote about that, that in November, and it was probably one of the best articles I've ever written. I literally wrote a whole thing about how, quote unquote, Bryson DeChambeau is going to win because of grass. Meanwhile, he barely made the cut. So, well, hang on a second, because I actually, I actually um, read something. Um, I think right before the Masters, and it was that uh, golf is turning into a, you know, turning into like a baseball where you know the hard hitters are the ones that are. It's the new wave. Yeah, but at and the same Bryson time, though, DeChambeau is leading that charge. Yeah, but at the same time, though, players like Bryson DeChambeau, who he barely made the cut in the first place, he went four under par on day three on moving day, but he was well over par on day one, over over par day two because because he couldn't use his green reading book, which is his big uh, his big get when it comes to putting. So he was just missing three, four, five foot putts everywhere. But yeah, the the wave is sort of turning now to heavy hitters. Cam Champ is one of the better. Uh, drivers in the game. However, it doesn't really uh, equate when it comes to Augusta. You don't need to swing it uh, a country mile so long as you can get it on the green. The whole point of Augusta is there's not there's no rough. There's barely any water to speak of, and even then, the water is playable for the most part. Like the, the, they always talk about about uh, Amen Corner holes 12, 13, 14. The only water there is Ray's Creek, which is just a little small sliver of land. But you could very well uh, hit your ball out of that. Yep. So there isn't really a, 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 a much water outside of 16 and I believe 11. So, and again, the, there's no rough. So the whole point of the Masters is, is you need to literally fit balls into a one to two inch spot perfectly every single shot. And players like Bryson DeChambeau, although 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 they can hit it 400 yards, they're going to hit it 35 yards into the woods and it it screws them over. So yes, the uh, the mantra is, is changing a little bit in golf. There's a lot more. Guys swinging at 330, then there are just 300. But uh, it goes to show you that players like Hideki Matsuyama, who isn't, who, who doesn't swing the swing the, the driver 340 yards, manages to win. Same thing with Dustin Johnson or Tiger Woods uh, in the past. They're more uh, precision players, which makes a bigger difference. Moving on though from golf, because we have to, we have got a whole slew of things to talk about. We need to talk about about, about Deshaun Watson, and this is a hard hitting topic because uh, it's something that. A lot of journalists kind of tend to stray away from if they if they don't have to talk about it, but I feel like it's important to bring it up. Well, there's a reason why. There's a reason why. It's, it's just it's so so touchy. Yeah. It's so like, what's what's the story here? Is the story here a, a money grab, or is there actually something serious that needs to be addressed? Yeah, and, and that's you know because we're you know we're 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 in the we're in the we're in the Me Too era, and if. You know, if something's said, then there has to be a full-fledged investigation. Yeah, you can agree or disagree about that if you want, but the matter of the fact is, is that there can be no stone left unturned in this situation. So that, so that, that's the whole thing with this, uh, this case. There's a lot of different factors to uh, to look into. So let's try and so let's try and break it down a little bit. So there are 22 women that have come forward that that are claiming, uh, well, actually, they're almost all therapists, claiming that Deshaun Watson has made inappropriate advances at them. Uh, he admitted that 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 there were consensual actions done. I think he said this about a little earlier than last week. So there are so there is a fact of the matter here that there has been contact with these massage therapists. However, they claim it's consensual. The other twenty two say say it is not. But the other issue is that this is a civil uh, suit. So for those of you who aren't familiar with law, 
Um, granted, neither am I. I'm not a professional, but my uh, my law 101 class is going to kind of walk me through this one. So a civil versus criminal court. Civil is essentially uh, Deshaun Watson cannot get he can get uh, caught for these cases. However, he cannot be be uh, tried and put into jail as a criminal. Yeah, as a criminal. That that is if the judge brings it into criminal court, which is a possibility. So the big thing is is a lot of people who are uh, sim- sympathizers to Deshaun Watson are thinking, oh, is this a cash grab from these 22 women trying to get their bag because he's trying to get traded and he's going to get a big-time contract, which is the wrong way to approach this anyways. Any sort of uh, case like this has some sort of brevity and should be taken seriously. But it goes without saying that there is certainly questions. The big thing, though, is that um, it, because he's being tried in Texas, there's a possibility that, that if the judge finds substantial enough evidence to bring all these cases to court, he could move this to a criminal court if there's enough evidence by mm-hmm. the by the females to try and convict him. So I think this, that's also very important. This also comes at, at a very crucial time where he's trying to get traded. He requested a trade, what, what a month ago? Oh, more than that. Hasn't been dealt yet. There's been talks that with Carolina getting Sam Darnold, that Teddy Bridgewater might be going to Texas in the case that they're going to try and trade Deshaun Watson, even though they've said before, uh, even though Houston said before they don't want to get rid of him, but now they kind of have to. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, there is, and and this, again, it's a, it's a very touchy subject because of the fact that we're in this era where you have to be extremely due diligent and making sure that no stone is left unturned. My in my heart of hearts, this is a cash grab, and I and I hate saying that as a as a white male because at the end of the day. You know, Deshaun Watson is one of the richest players in the NFL, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't it would take a it wouldn't take a whole lot of, you know, a, a, a lot of money to him is an astronomical amount of money to us. Exactly. And for hey, there's Chris Longchamp, uh, and if if anything, right now, I believe in my heart of hearts that this is something where. Yeah, there there was probably a little extra curricular activity happening at these massages for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honestly do believe that it, because it is a civil court case, I do believe that this is really just, hey, I want a little bit of hush money. Well, the problem is, too, is that because these happened years ago, there is no... The, the evidence is tough. Because, it, it, because there's, a, there's a statute of limitations. Yeah, and also, it, unless there is uh, security camera footage showing this or... As horrible as it sounds, and to try and put this politely on radio, if there was a uh, a biological evidence that something happened, um, which is well past anyways because it's happened years ago and you can't be tested for it, obviously, now. So we don't really know what's going to happen. Hopefully there is enough evidence that can be presented because I, I feel like, and this is kind of where I rant, the, the NFL and a lot of these sports leagues, a lot of these players get away with a lot of things. Uh, James Winston had had multiple rape charges that, that that were dropped when he was at when he was at Florida State because his school defended him. Um, there have been issues with players like at, like at Baylor University football um, under Art Briles. Granted, he was fired, but there were 230 sexual assault cases mm-hmm. that were that were open and were not looked at at all by the Title IX office at Baylor. So everyone there was at fault. A lot of these a lot of these athletes kind of get get fed the silver spoon and don't get uh, don't get what's due 
to them because of the fact that they're premier athletes. They're going to get drafted, especially at colleges, where they're going to make you a lot of money. Right. I know that there was a lot of lot of lot of problems with uh, Aaron Hernandez when he was at Florida. Exactly. And like like things that like just they don't they don't surface because of the fact that you get a little bit of a of a golden shield when you are a when you are a high profile athlete. And also that's the issue that I don't like about uh, when you look at these like civil court cases that all the time you see uh, if you watch any movie or any sort of uh, documentary that has talks about um, these cases everything is about oh let's settle how much money do you want we'll try and get out of court as fast as we can and although I really don't want that I don't want it to happen here in this case I do want Deshaun Watson to get uh, punished for what he did so long as it is true Um, if it isn't true then I feel horrible that he has to go through the situation but yeah i mean uh, everyone wants this to be resolved whether he's yeah. guilty or if he's innocent i think people just want this to be resolved and i, I think more than anyone i think deshaun watson wants it to be resolved of course well yeah, yeah his he's he's claiming his innocence and mm-hmm. he believes that the evidence is there that that is the case and who knows like if he's found guilty in this situation he could be losing out on millions of dollars well he's already lost his uh, his contract with beats and nike so he's already lo- losing out on these sponsorship deals which for a lot of these players that's the bulk of their money if you if you look at players like lebron james yeah he makes 36 million dollars a year but his bulk the bulk of his contract is from the million dollar lifelong deal sorry billion dollar lifelong deal with nike or with gatorade or beats or you name it the sponsorship Bruce, deals. Right, like Tiger Woods lost everything after he cheated on his wife because he lost Gatorade. He lost Nike for a little bit. So he's losing all these big brands. And that's really the bulk of your money, especially as a PGA Tour, Tour golfer, let alone in football, where his contract's only really like $40 million, I believe it is right now. So a lot of the money that he does make is from these deals with Nike and Beats and Gatorade and so on. So he's already losing out there. Even if he's innocent, I don't know if he's going to be, be able to sign back because they can't Nike can't just go back on their word to say oh oh we're going to get rid of him mm-hmm. so he may, he may have to look elsewhere which is going to be a whole other issue uh if this gets resolved but it's a settlement it, is this really going to go away like i i think the, the the big problem here and something to really look at is there's a disparity i think between athletes and the ownership and everything cuz yeah the, there's a problem with Deshaun Watson but i think the bigger issue is too is that the ownership of the Texans and people who are involved in the front office want this to get resolved because a they want to trade him they want to get as much value as they can and i don't think that there's a lot of support for deshaun watson the player uh, the person as it is for deshaun watson the player i think that that's the problem in sports you you're looking at me co- yeah like i don't know you you, you kind of i think you're kind of throwing a lot of words together right now that all right don't so make a whole lot of sense so deshaun well, watson for, the person well first of all he's being tried what yeah yeah that's 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 true but deshaun watson the person is also deshaun watson the player yes but i feel like a lot of these ownership groups and these front offices don't necessarily portray players as people rather than pieces to their multi-million dollar business. And there's a bit of a disparity there in terms of um, saying, oh yeah, we support Deshaun Watson in this. But are you supporting him as the person or are you supporting him as the money maker that he is and trying to get him resolved, give out some settlement money and try and move on from this? So Deshaun Watson looks like, I believe before 2020, he signed a four-year Hundred fifty-six million dollar contract. Oh, did he? Okay. So uh, twenty-seven million in signing bonus, and he's getting ten point five in twenty twenty-one. Okay. Uh, so it's definitely a backloaded contract, in in the fact that you know he's going to get a lot more money mm-hmm. later, and I think that maybe there is a potential here because I don't know if you remember the Ezekiel Elliott situation yeah. from a couple of years ago that dragged on. 
He also he also lost uh, a, a year's salary for for everything. I think. Uh, did he? All I know is that it was like it, his suspension was overturned like three or four times. Well, the, before it was finally upheld. Well, that that year because I actually had him in fantasy football. He he was under investigation for like seven weeks. The trial got pushed. And then got pushed again, and he only got suspended by week fifteen, and it was only for the rest of the season. So when he was supposed to get out oh, he, for he the was, whole year, he was suspended for four games. Yeah, he only, he only missed he only, he only missed but the final four games of the year. He missed two the, the yeah. following year. Yeah. So it that's another thing too. The NFL does not take these kind of things seriously. And the, I, I wouldn't say they don't take them seriously. I would just say that they have a rough history with how they discipline their players. But doesn't that kind of speak to how they don't I mean, necessarily care much? No. Not not necessarily because I think every situation is different. You know, if you look at the Ray Rice situation, he was you know he he and his wife are still married. Yeah, that that was the the woman that he beat up in the elevator. They're married today. Yeah, but then and, and like yeah, he, that but was he got, but he got released. Like he's like he's out. He's done. He's yeah. never going to play in the NFL again. Um, it's it, it, it you know in in the Ezekiel Elliott situation, you know, four games gets overturned two or three times. Tom Brady didn't do anything as nearly as uh, obscene as Ezekiel Elliott, Ray Rice still got a quarter of a season for yeah, what but, he did. But then there's situations like Kareem Hunt who punted a woman into a wall and got what four game suspension. Yeah. And then also Tyree kill Tyree like, kill didn't who get anything and, and actually ended up getting a contract extension and then a sewer wall. And people always forget like, Oh, everyone looks at, looks at Tyree kill and, and loves him. But meanwhile, I will never look at him the same because of what he did. Like, like, yeah, the, like the, the rough, there's a rough history there. I get it, but there's the there's the extremes. Like what, and like in the Ray Rice situation, Ray Rice shouldn't be in the NFL, yeah. of course. But uh, but then they have, it, you know, it seems like you you overcompensate for one for one player. You know, they they get the you know they get the the rough end of the bargain, and then a guy like Kareem Hunt, you know, he's still uh, he's still splitting time with Nick Chubb in one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's a difficult situation for the NFL because they want to find that happy medium, happy being a a, a, a relative term of course. Um they they want to find that medium where they can they really can confidently say Deshaun Watson deserves to sit out six games. But then there's the fact that this is a civil court case. If this was criminal court, Deshaun Watson's getting suspended whether he's guilty or innocent. Yeah. If because this is civil court and this is likely just to be, you know, a couple million dollars off uh, from from his bank account, he's probably going to be out there week one for whatever team he plays for. Yeah. Whether it be the Jets, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the 49ers, or the Texans. Now, is it wrong? No, it's not. It, because, because of the way that it's being handled. Because of the way that this is not getting the same press that Kareem Hunt got, that Ray Rice got that Tom Brady got that Aaron well, Hernandez got. At it's, the same time, though, so, sorry to cut you off, though, but Deshaun Watson is a MVP caliber player. Ray Rice at the time was very good, but he wasn't a MVP player. Kareem, Kareem Hunt was was in his second year in the league. Like like these kind of situations are are vastly different in it, solely in the sense of profile. Yeah, Ray Rice was in his prime, was a great player for the Ravens for a Super Bowl contending team in the Ravens, mm-hmm. but he still wasn't on the level as like Deshaun Watson led the league in, in passing yards this past season. He just made no, his with, bag. With what receiving court, too. Exactly. So he's an elite-level player. I think that's the other big problem here is that we haven't seen a lot of these cases with these prime-time players. Like The, the most recent one that I could think of, aside from, aside from Kareem Hunt, was, was John Brown, the kicker for the Giants, who got a one-game suspension Yeah, for, for being of his wife. Oh, that's right. I remember that. So, like, again. Then he, then he, now he's not a long Yeah, well, he also retired. So, like, but still, like, this is a premier 
top ten athlete in the NFL. Right, and I, you think I think about you know like a Roldis Chapman had a very similar situation with his wife, where his first season with the Yankees, he was suspended for thirty games. Um, you know, these things happen. These, these, and, and, and I say that I shouldn't say that very lightly. These these things happen a lot in sports, is what I should say. And it's unfortunate. And it's it is extremely unfortunate. Every league has their different methods of handling it. I think the NFL has a, a very very rocky history of how they have handled it, and I think they want to get it right this time. And that's why they are waiting for all the evidence to come out before they finally make their an, uh, eventual verdict on whatever the the situation might be with Deshaun Watson. I I think uh, you know when Kobe died, there was a lot of people who were like, let's not forget that Kobe Bryant was a rapist. I hate that. I hate that. Like, let, we're not celebrating. We're not. We're not bringing up the the failures or or whatever whatever rocky history Kobe Bryant had. We're celebrating the fact that he was a five time NBA champion, yeah. MVP, you know, the grinder of all grinders. Plus, plus also, yeah, yeah, he, he he had his problems, but he and his wife got back together. Right. They, they have four great daughters. Like right. like he like but he. It's the same situation. With, he redeemed himself. There's the same situation with like. Like Ray Rice, like we don't know that what, what Ray Rice would be today in the NFL if he were still there. Mm-hmm. But in the situation where Ray Rice beat up his wife, they're still together today. And Kobe Bryant, you know, cheated on his wife. Uh, and nothing happened. Nothing came out of that. Yeah, he would. He just continued to play in the NBA. And you know, it, it, it's it's different in every situation because of the profile of the player. And I think that if Ray Rice had been able to continue his career we might be talking about a potential hall of famer who knows there's there's a lot about this and we don't want to get political uh with anything so we should probably also we're we're two white males you know our opinions our opinions really shouldn't matter in this situation they don't carry as much brevity however it's important as journalists to talk about it it is is. just because we don't necessarily fit the description of uh of being a victim um we should still be able to talk about it and still have a um, give understanding to it because, again, this is this is our job. This is something that, that we need to talk about because it's such an it's such, it's such a major issue. And if if the mantra was oh because we're two men we shouldn't be talking about this, then in in journalism which is a male dominated field, there would be no coverage of it anyways. And we and again like Steve and I cannot stress it enough. We want the truth to come out, and we want if Deshaun Watson's guilty, then he should be punished and. If he's innocent, then he should be able to continue his his career. But a, again, it's it's we're in that Me Too era where if you overlook something, it's going to be shouted from the hilltops that you should go back and, and reexamine. Do you want to take a short break? Yeah, I de- I definitely think we should take a short break. When we come back, MLB, NBA, everything you need to know in the world of sports. You're listening to ninety eight point one WQAQ. Soundtrack at Quinnipiac, Jack Maine, Steve McAvoy, 1040 on a Monday morning. Steve thinks this is a baseball song. It is, dude. The, the, the Black Keys scream baseball. They do. They do. Hey, we we have missed a lot with Major League Baseball. Oh, Finally, yeah. 
We got a 162-game season. It has been since Mookie Betts was a reigning World Series champion. We got to bring up Mookie Sox. Betts. How is it that every single episode Listen, we have dude, to bring up Mookie Betts? I can't tell you how much I want to express my love for Mookie Betts because he was a, he was a Red Sox legend, and they let him go for, for nothing. Actually, nothing is, is relative because the Red Sox are surprising a lot of people right now. Yeah, but they also got, got a... They also had their butts handed to them by the uh, by the Orioles on a, then, opening weekend, and then they also handed it right back to the Orioles last night. Also the Orioles, so <laughs> let let us not forget though that the the, the Red Sox got, got beat by by John Means, and then, then who's their us, number one pitcher? And then let us not forget that Nick Pivetta also beat the Baltimore Orioles. Let's also let's also remember that I shouldn't be saying anything because the Mets absolutely suck, and they somehow oh won. They won opening day on a fake hit by pitch. Did most you watch that? Yeah, oh yeah. Most Mets win ever. Oh, and then we had a couple of very shoddy uh, over uh, replay replay reviews. Oh yeah. No, th- th- I mean there and then a no hitter. I, I know, like we can't even forget about that. Like that's all that's happened so far in a in a two weekends of Major League Baseball. It's it's crazy. So let's start there. So we missed two weeks of baseball, and for the first time. The first no-hitter of 2021, I think, I don't believe there was a no-hitter thrown in 2020. There was, there was two. There, really? Yeah, well, Giolito. Oh, wow, and yeah. Then, um, and then a kid from the from the Cubs. Oh, uh, was it Alec Mills now? Yes, Alec Mills. He was, was a Alec walk-on Mills? at, uh, My God. he was a walk-on somewhere in, I totally forgot. in college, and then he somehow made a major league roster. You know what's wild? 60-game season, you wouldn't even think that there would be, not not even one no-hitter, but two. Yeah. Kind of ridiculous how that happened, but the, the last the last no hitter that I vividly remember was Sean Mania uh, beating up the Red Sox. Oh, 2018. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, when uh, well, Mania with the A's. There was, who, a, there was a 2020 no 2020 no 2019 no hitter, wasn't there? Was there? We'll have to look that one up. I, I'll, I'll look up the list. I think of it actually might have might have been Mania because uh, well, I, I was a junior. I was a junior. You were a junior here. Yeah. No, you weren't. You yeah. were a sophomore. 2018? You were going into your junior year, but you were a sophomore because I met you You're right. going All right. into your junior year. So, so it was 2019 because, because going into my senior year was, 20, was 2018. No, you know hit the Red Sox in 2018. Oh, was? That was your sophomore year. Okay. And then, yeah. Ah, okay. All right. I, I got it. All right. All right. <laughs> so anyway, so, so the Padres, who have been around since, what, uh, the very early 2000s or no, the 90s? Around, they've been around forever. Now, yeah, it hasn't been they, that long. Tony Gwynn? Tony Gwynn was with the Padres in like the 80s. Have they really been, been around for that long? Yes. Well, oh, actually, yeah. I, t- I totally forgot that they had... Um, who, who else did they have? Uh, they had Tony Gwynn and Andre, Andre Dawson? Yeah. Yeah. Andre Dawson. For, wow, he so was also the, with the Expos. Wow, so they, they, they've been around forever. I actually totally blanked on that. That's crazy. There you go. Let's all see. Right, so, so I'm trying to find a list. Ah, oh, so, all right. So, really so, the, so the history of the Padres... They came into the league. Uh, wow! Yes, I, there were three. I didn't realize that that they joined the ba- that they joined the ML- MLB in '69. Yeah, dude, that's crazy! Wow. So, all right. Anyways, then. So I got all the I got all the no hitters since like tw- since like nine since like 1875. So, on my computer. so the Padres have been around since 1969. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I thought that they were literally expanded in the 80s in the late 80s. For the first time, the final team to throw a no-hitter, mm-hmm. Joe Musgrove finally did it. Now, Musgrove came over from the Pirates this past year, and they're obviously a dumpster fire 
uh, unlike any other. Shout out to Molly Anity, um, who is a. I don't know how you can be a Pirates fan at, the, at this point in your life. Like it is a. Like, can you name me anybody on the Pirates right now? Like, like realistically, as, as two hardcore baseball fans, I know three guys. Yeah, well, there's that. Um, they got the Moran, Colin Moran. Colin Moran, who, who has a better beard than a swing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they just traded Josh Bell. Yes. Um, they've got that guy that was like top five in average last year. Who? Uh, can't. I'm blanking. Adam Frazier? Gregory Polanco. Yes, Adam Frazier. That's what I'm thinking about. All I know is, it, is Moran, Polanco, Frazier, and then uh, my fantasy third baseman and, pro- and hopeful NL Rookie of the Year, Cabrian Hayes. Or Cabrian P- Hayes. P. Brian Hayes, yes. wh- however you say it. He hit a freaking nuke the other day. That was on, on opening day. But hard. but he's been on he's been God damn like on the IL unfortunately. But like but yeah. So the Pirates are an absolute dumpster fire. They moved Chris Archer back to the uh, back to the Rays and they traded Joe Musgrove to the Padres. Great move. And he came in with a stat rotation and and for for a team like the Padres, I did not expect Joe Musgrove to have to have the first no hitter of that group because mm-hmm. it was going to happen at some point. But but when you have a team like a team full of Studs like Chris Paddock, Blake Snell, you Darvish, you would think one of them would throw it. Probably not Snell, considering he can't go more than five innings. But Joe Musgrove, great story, Jack. When was the uh, for the teams that have one no hitter? One no hitter. Yeah, oh, who, who who's on that list? I don't know. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, San Diego. Okay, Toronto. Toronto. Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. The Mets. All right. Well, so the Mets was Johan Santana in twenty third. Team. No, he was like, I, was it that? Twenty twelve. Was it that? Not that long ago. I yeah. thought he was like two thousand seven. He's had no, like, no, 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 no. Johan had, like, had two stints with the Mets. No, Johan Santana was traded to the Mets in like 09, 2010, I think, and he threw his no hitter um, one of the first couple of years uh, in City Field history because I was there. You went to that game? Yes, I was. I've been to so many iconic New York Mets games. I've been to. Oh, uh, wow. I went to Johan's no hitter. Uh, Kirk Neuenheis, if you remember him, had the first Mets three home run game. Uh, I went to that. I've went to Gary Sheffield's 500th home run. How is Johan Santana not in the Hall of Fame? I have no. Uh, yeah, the the very tail end of his career, the last like four, like four years, was an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, he was not good. I mean, like, as, as a Mets, his only year, his only year with an ERA above four was his very last year, and that was in 2012. What did he throw the last three years of his career? Uh, 298. That was in 2010. Uh, 313. A 253. A 333. A 27. Like, these are all, like, Hall of He was good. These were, these were league-leading ERA numbers. He, he used to get Led the league destroyed. in pitched. Batters faced. FIP. Whip. ERA plus. What is FIP? Uh, fielder independent pitching. <laughs> so, like, it takes away, like, all, like... Like, if you were not to, like, hit a ball and play, okay. like, what your expected ERA would be. Um, okay, the, the, that's an uh, advanced stat that no one knows, but all right. Jacob Resnick knows, and he, he he tries to explain it, but doesn't make any sense because he hates explaining things. Um, well, you, you know, Johan Santana used to get absolutely destroyed. He won two Cy Young Awards. Like, I don't understand yeah, but, how yeah, this but, guy's but, not but, in the Hall of Fame. But, but prior to the Mets. I mean, he's a triple crown winner. He's a gold with, glover. Again, with the Twins. He, look, Johan. Oh, he was a Cy Young Oh, yeah, didn't win the Mets. <laughs> Johan Santana was not as, although the numbers show it, he got he got booed so hard with the Mets. That's because he played in New York. He that's was, what New York is. Not the Mets. That's a Yankees thing. It's a Mets thing too. Oh come on, it's a Yankees thing, dude. You're telling me right now that <laughs> Carlos Stanton gonna... didn't boo Lucas Duda once or twice when he was with the Mets, and Lucas Duda was ever relevant? No. I'm, 
I mean, like Luka Doncic sucked. I mean, like it's not like he wasn't a negative player for you guys. Ah, oh, you know what? Okay, we got to get back onto the topic of Joe We're, Musgrove. Yeah, this is what happens when we talk about baseball. So, all right. <laughs> so, of teams with only one no hitter, the last team to throw one prior to the Padres was when? Was it the Mets in 2012, 2011? Uh, might have been the Brewers. Oh, the Rockies have one too. Um, uh, that was Ubaldo Jimenez, right? Yeah, is that two, 2010. Oh wow. Um, so we've got the Padres. I'm going in like in terms of like recent. Um, well, just to make a point here, it's been so long since a team that has only ever had one no hitter has Mets, thrown a no hitter. It was the Mets and it was Johan Santana. Exactly. So not since what 2011? 2012. 2012. June perfect. First 2012 against the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, sir. Eight, eight to nothing. Eight to, eight to nothing. Then they won. Yep. And then even prior to that. And the last time it, the last time it happened was Tampa Bay, Matt Tampa, Garza. Exactly. So it's been forever, almost nine nine years since a team recorded the, their first no hitter, and Joe Musgrove managed to do it with a, with a stacked San Diego Padres team. And it was a a very good game. I I actually watched it throughout because I'm doing a um, I'm producing a show on Wednesday, uh, a, a national broadcast for a class, and I was watching um all all the games to figure out like good highlights to put in, and I and I was like, wow, wow, this is like crazy so I, I, I watched the final like four innings i think he had 10 strikeouts or four or something in the effort i know i can't I, he hit double he hit the, the he hit double digits in the strike in strikeouts it was a incredibly uh well-played game from musgrove but that that is one of the <laughs> one of the big stories coming in what so um no i'm just like <laughs> so uh, on this wikipedia page yeah it has no hitters that your team has pitched and the no hitters that have been pitched against you that was the first no hitter that the Padres throw through. They have had ten thrown against. Them. Well, the 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 Mets the Mets have had like eight, and they've had like three of them in the last five years. Mets have eight, yeah. Well, because uh, despite the Mets making the World Series in 2015, do you know that Max Scherzer no hit them last game of the year? Yes. No, that wasn't Max Scherzer. That was um. Max Scherzer. No, Jordan Zimmerman. I don't think so. Yeah, Jordan Zimmerman. Are you sure? Jordan Zimmerman threw a no-hitter on the last game of the year in 2013. I could have... Remember Steven Souza made that ridiculous catch? It wasn't 2013, it was 2015. Oh, okay, okay. So we're talking about two different scenarios here. The final game... Well, Max Scherzer threw two no-hitters that year. Remember, one of them was almost a perfect game, and then, like, Clint (laughs) Frazier, like, like... Like got hit on purpose? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hold hold on. I need to uh, look into this one. Oh no! Sorry, it was the second. It was the second to last game of the year because I because yes because one sixty two they, they won the game one nothing the day prior on, on October third they lost two to nothing and Max Scherzer threw a no, threw a no hitter that is hilarious crazy God the the Mets are, are such an up and up and down team all right different story the Dodgers so, the Dodgers have had have pitched the most no hitters and they've also had the most hitters pitched against them interesting impressive. <laughs> Wow, I'll the, win the, some to lose some. Wow, this wiki, this wiki, this wiki page is, is actually fascinating. Anyways, other big stories in, in baseball, and I have one short debate for us to uh, to chat about. But there have been a lot of rookies that have shown out, and a lot with very interesting stories. We were talking about it before the show, but there have been three guys who have, who have stood out to me so far this year as rookies. Yeah, I, I always don't look at the rookie race until like halfway through the season, only because. Well, yeah, we're only two weeks in. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that that there have been three guys who have stood out to me that that have been absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Nate Lowe, who actually leads the MLB in, in RBIs. Oh, for the race for the Rangers. What the Rangers? The Rangers. 
Nate Lowe. Nate, Nate Lowe? Are you, are you sure he's not on I, the Rays? I have in fantasy, yes. You're thinking of Brandon Lau. Am I really? Yes. So Nate Lowe Nate leads Lowe, the... Okay, Nate Lowe played for Tampa Bay. So did he? He played. He was in the World Series last year. I Well, he's a rookie. <laughs> yeah, but he still played in the World Series. Randy Rosarena's a rookie. Yeah, technically speaking, he is. <laughs> he's a rookie, and he's but, one of the greatest all-time postseason performances. Nate Lowe has been going off. He has like 14 RBIs, which leads MLB. German Mercedes, the first player to go 8-for-8 oh, eight 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 to begin his year. He exceeded his rookie limits during 2019. What? Yep. I'm so upset now. He Yeah, he had 152 at-bats in 2019. And he also has 14 RBIs, not leading the league. He was leading the league for, for about th- four days. Well, J.D. Martinez with his three oh, Well, yeah. Freaking All right. So, pr- so prior to yesterday, he led, he was leading uh, the MLB and RBIs. Jeremy Mercedes, though the uh, oh the, the, the catcher for the for the White Sox, Just unanimous, not even close. <laughs> he hadn't played higher than Double A baseball. He hit three seventy in spring training. Had seven home runs. He went eight for eight to start his career. He went eight for eight, and he hit a he hit a, he hit a almost five hundred foot nuke the other night. How, like how, like how. Just Tear, how? Tearing the cover just, off of baseball. Just how? The hardest jump in professional baseball is from single A to double A because double A is where they start sending yeah. guys down from the major leagues when you suck. So you're still technically major league talent at double A level. So he had that kind of that same like, okay, he's almost in the major leagues. But the fact that he went eight for eight to start it's his ridiculous. career is insane. It's ridiculous. To start his career. Like, like, like. Rookies will go like oh for fifteen before they finally hey, get a hey, get a before they finally get an infield single. This guy went eight for eight. Ozzy Albie's good pitching against good pitching. Ozzy Albie's started the year over thirteen, and exactly. yet and yet your Mercedes is going off. Of that. But then 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 the biggest story in my opinion is Akil Badu, who Badu. not not many people have heard of, and for and rightly so. Do you know Akil Badu? Is that with an A? He yes, A K I L and then B A D D O O. Akil Badu. Akil Badu. He was the third overall pick. He homered on the very first pitch. Yes. He, he, he was the third overall pick in the Rule 5 draft. For, so, for those of you, so for those of you who do not know much about uh, the Rule 5 draft, if you are picked up, you must be invited to spring training on the MLB roster, and you must log a certain amount of time on the MLB, on the MLB, on the MLB roster. You, cannot, you actually have to have one full year of yeah. service time, or you get offered back to the team yes. that picked you up. So Akil Badu... Had never played higher than single A baseball. <laughs> he was picked up as the third overall pick. The Tigers bought him in. He raked the sp- he raked in spring training. Yep. They bought him up on the very first pitch of his MLB career. Hits a dinger. And since then, I believe he's had outside of like his last like two or three games, he had an RBI in the, in his first like five games. Well, he's got seven right now. Yeah. So he's- he he went off. Well, well, he had four uh, in one game because I think he had a grand slam. Did he really? I think so. But like the guy had an RBI in his first like three or four games. Like he's he he's gone off. And this speaks to the fact that the this is the first time and and I don't think we 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 acknowledge it much because the 60 game season was very short. Mm-hmm. Not 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 a lot of guys had time to get ready. There if you if you think about it, there weren't a lot of great rookie sensations in that 60 game set. Um when you really think about I it mean, like outside of like Outside of um, Kyle Lewis, yeah, uh, yeah, there, I agree with that. Like there weren't I mean, there many. A, well, I mean, like there was underrated guys. I mean, like if you look at the 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 kid for the Brewers who won Rookie of the Year, 
Devin Williams, yeah. Devin Williams. I mean, he had he he only allowed one one hit the entire season. There are very few occasions though that that a relief pitcher ha- that a reliever has won the Rookie of the Year. I think the last one to win, I mean, as, Craig Kimbrell, as a reliever, was it Craig Kimbrell? Yeah, 20, I think uh, two thousand ten. I think you are right on that one. Um, actually, uh, yes, yeah, you're right, Craig Kimbrell. And then prior to him was uh, Naftali Feliz. Actually, the year prior. So. Relievers do not they don't, tend, win it very often. they don't show up. Pitchers don't even necessarily show up that show up all that often. There, oh, Shohei Otani. Yeah, well, Otani, Otani in twenty eighteen, uh, Michael Fulmer in twenty sixteen. Like they come in every few years, but it's mostly a it, it's a hitter centric award the, the way I see it, just because it's so much easier to have a career year. For example, like like you're on average at twenty seven home runs and a th- and a three it's a three thirteen average. Unless your pitcher is gonna has a two three ERA, he's not gonna reach that. It's very rare for a, especially a starting pitcher, to actually win that award when you have offensive hitters that are so dominant. But I think this is the year that we're going to see a lot more young players coming up because of the fact that the 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 super two doesn't exist this year. So a lot of players are going to come up. Jared Klenick's going to come up for the Mariners. Super two. It's the the extra year of service time. It was it was back in 2011, or I think it was, or 2012, 2013 might have been when Chris Bryant came up. There was the uh, the issue where he was ready for spring training at the end of spring oh, training, but they didn't bring they him up said, because they wanted the extra year of service time for him, so they brought him up in like mid May. I remember that. So mid April, right? Yeah. So yeah, they so down for like two weeks, and then they were like, "Oh, we can save him a year of service." Exactly. So the Super Two doesn't exist uh, this year because of the shortened season. They want to get, pe- get get guys up, and they want to uh, kind of like the economy. They want to rejuvenate the uh, the league. So players like Andres Jimenez, uh, who was traded in the Lindor Carrasco deal from the Mets, he's come up. Jared Kalen is going to come up. Um, and now players like Yerman Mercedes and Nate Lau and guys are starting to come up and play consistent minutes in pro baseball. And I think this is going to be the uh, the youth movement that baseball has been looking for because there are a lot of rookies on a lot of rosters, and a lot of them are making big impacts. Like, there aren't many teams outside of probably the Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, those like top three or four teams that have rookies on the roster that are playing consistently because, again, you look at these teams like the Cardinals, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Padres, that... They have almost an all-star at every, at almost every single position. Yeah, like these are guys that are like all-timers. So I mean, there's a lot of guys though right now that we saw a lot of last year: Randy Rosarena, Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, these are all guys. Anthony that, Santander that we uh, saw a lot of last Baltimore, year. Yeah, but they're all eligible this year. Exactly, and it's crazy to think about that. I mean, I remember what. So obviously, there's the Chris Bryant one, but when Andrew Benintendi was called up in 2016, mm-hmm. he was called up at the he was called up at the trade deadline. Yeah. Um. So he was called up on July 31st, and it was it eventually was an IL stint that mm-hmm. saved him his rookie eligibility to be the following year because if you are a rookie, you have to have less than 150 MLB. Played appearances or like what's the innings uh, cap? Uh, I think for pitchers it's like fifty. Yeah. If you pitch fifty innings, you are no longer eligible for rookie requirements. Yeah. Uh, and if you uh, and if you have over one hundred and fifty at bats, which is not a lot, you know, that's about a month's worth of abs. So that's why they that's why they call them September call ups, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can get your you know you get your reps in. I, at the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, though, I mean, like I love you know I love seeing all this young talent. I think that. Well, and I I don't think this. Everyone thinks that MLB is a white old old white male dominant sport. Yeah, 
Always has been. And Rick Bignante will be the first one to acknowledge that because he calls me up all the time and he's like, Jack, I hate how baseball is soft when Fernando Tatis hits swings 3-0 when he's up by nine runs and hits a grand slam. Mm-hmm. I don't care that people, you know, be and, be and moan about that. I care that people push back because of, like, I care. I If you, like, the Rangers manager... Chris Woodward was like, I I can't believe like he owes us an apology for swinging three zero, man. If you if you can hit a if you can hit a home run at a major league ballpark, I don't care that you swing three zero. It's impressive that you hit up that you hit a that you hit the size of a rock coming at you at hundred miles an hour and you can hit it four hundred feet the other way. That's crazy. And so don't don't complain about that. I love the bat flips. I love the Ronald Acuna smacking his chest and speaking Spanish into the dugout saying, let's go, like, I'm firing this team up when he's wearing the throwbacks. Like, all that is all the young new generation of baseball. And that's driven by guys like Randy Rosarina, dri- driven by guys like Euron Mercedes, Shohei Otani, because you know that Mike Trout's not doing that. You know, Mike Trout has his moments for sure where he shines in the spotlight, but he's not banging his chest when he hits home runs. Yeah. Same with, you know, J.D. Martinez. Same with Aaron Judge. Those guys aren't doing it. It's got to be done by Acuna's. It's got to be done by uh, these younger, fiery players. And actually, you just literally opened up up the point that that I want to get to. I think this is going to be the year that the the youth movement in baseball literally turns the knob, and there's going to be more people watching baseball. There's going to be more people involved, because we already saw in the offseason with Trevor Bauer and his whole ordeal how obviously he always gives uh, Rob Manfred crap about being a horrible uh, commissioner. He's not wrong. Yeah, he's, well, he's totally right. But now he's been saying, like, oh, social media is going, is going to, to take over. If you look at, and I'm going to use the PGA Tour, for example, there are five or six guys who are all under the age of 24, 25, 24, that are now the premier players in golf. Mm-hmm. I think uh, three of them are all ranked in the top 20. There's a couple of guys on, on the outset. Will Zalatoris, uh, as we mentioned, finished second at the Masters in his first ever potential PGA Tour win. So now these guys on social media are really kind of blowing up the the league. You're seeing a lot more feeds on on Twitter and a lot more stuff on Instagram and everything. Baseball, there isn't really a lot of that. And most of it kind of comes on the MLB. But I think now it's going to be the matter of we are now in the social media era, era and these young players that utilize social media way more often is going to kind of break the MLB mold and create more of that more of that coverage where you're going to see you don't you don't really see players trending on Twitter. Well, I th- I will just yesterday I think we had a great example of when the Mets hit a rain delay and Marcus Stroman mm-hmm. went on Twitter during the rain delay and was like I hate that this game was even started. Yeah, like that's something that ten years ago, five years ago, even if he would had never said that, it, yeah, if he had said that, you know, he he would be he would be sat and he would be benched. Mm-hmm. But we're in an era now where that's got to be acceptable, and I think that it should be acceptable because at the end of the day, you know, the players play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, the the owners the, uh, the owners bring the money to the table, but. If the players feel like their 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 well being is at risk because of some money, then they're going to voice their opinions about that. And I like that. You know what? You know all the power to you. If I'm not happy about something at my job, uh, you know, and I and I flip, I know I, I spin I spin dough at Domino's, right? So <laughs> if I'm not happy about something at my job, though, I'm going to talk to my boss about it. Look, like, but, but and baseball's had that double edged sword yeah. where because they're getting so much money, you know the 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 mantra is that you can't say anything about it but they have rights too and i think that i love that marcus stroman saying this game should never have been played and he's right he's right not for nothing if you really look at the uh the structure of sports and how it works in the economy if you notice like let's use walmart for example 
the people that work at Walmart aren't the product that you're selling. It's just the people that, that are helping you sell the product. In baseball, the laborers are the players, and they're also the product. So they're actually everything to the, the grand system that yeah. is professional sports. So the reality of things, they should be they, they should be able to voice their opinion on literally anything because they are the ones that are, A, not only making the money, but they are creating the money, too. They're literally the economy of sports. So th- if they aren't able to, to voice their opinion, and this goes to literally anything, whether it be, uh, again, not to get political, but when Colin Kaepernick took a knee and he wasn't he was told to not voice his opinion because he's an athlete or when LeBron says something and he's told, shut up and dribble. It shows that these athletes, exactly. So these athletes should be able to voice their opinion. And I think it's totally right. And now with social media being a huge thing and the youngsters being a part of this baseball movement, also not to mention, there are a lot of guys who are even in their mid twenties. You got to realize like we're, I'm 23 years old. I had the first iPod shuffle, but like, like me being the quote unquote Twitter, Twitter movement of like the in-betweeners between Gen Z and the millennials, a lot of millennials are now 27, 28 years old in baseball. Shane Bieber being one of them. Jacob DeGrom was on the back end, but even then, he's active on social media. Bowers in his 30s, but he's still active on social media. Sorry, he's like 28. He's active on social media. So even the millennials are now kind of getting in on the mix, too. And I think everything's going to kind of come full circle, and Rob Manfred's going to have a big mm-hmm. uh, big question on his hands of how do we now address the social media impact of sports. And how do they handle that? Exactly. And Rob Manfred has not done a great job of that. Well, he, he's also what? He's like he's in his 60s, and he's too, he's too out of it to understand. I hope Trevor Bauer one day, when he, once he finally calls it quits, he makes his bid to run the MLB. I, I think he'd be... I, I think... That'd be great. I, well, I mean, like, you look at the New York police office, the New York police commissioner, a former police officer... Yeah, you know, like a former, you know, a former player would be a great fit to be the commissioner of baseball. Yeah, makes sense, right? Ha- has there ever been I mean, one? No. Chris Paul is the president of the, the players union. The players union for the NBA. I mean, he's a current. He's current player. He's not just a current player. He's a he's an all star. Yeah, you know, he's he's one of the best point guards in the league. Well, who, who who's the president of the? Uh... The, Tony Clark. Yeah, the MLB, the, so Tony Clark, former, former player, player for the MLBPA. So hey, he, there's certainly. A possibility. I think he, he he's actually one of the front runners to actually take, take the job once uh, once Manfred leaves. But uh, well, he can only be soon enough. I mean, he's just <laughs> he's just been so bad. Like everything from the Astros to the to the poor uh, instant replay. My stat of the week, though, and we'll we're, I think we should move off MLB and go to our final debate for yeah. the day. Um, my stat of the day: Victor Caratini has caught the last two MLB no hitters. Really? He caught Alec Mills last year against <laughs> Milwaukee. And he caught Joe Musgrove. That's ridiculous. This past weekend, my, pretty awesome, uh, huh? My, my little stat for uh, stat for that one. Do you know that that when the Mets traded for Johan Santana, we're going to go back to this. Two guys were were in the deal to uh, to Minnesota, and actually that that was also the last Minnesota twin I think to throw a no hitter. If I'm if I'm, if I'm not wrong, Philip the the pitcher was Philip Humber. Philip Humber, and well, he, he threw a perfect game for yeah. Chicago. No, it was yes. Yeah, sorry, it was for Chicago. So the two guys that were traded, two of the key, key pieces, aside from Carlos Gomez, got, in the deal. I got the trade right here. Okay. It was Carlos Gomez, Philip Humber, and Ramon Castro. Yes. Who was it? Uh, so the trade was February 2nd, 2008. Okay. It was uh, traded by the Twins to the Mets for Carlos Gomez, uh, Philip Humber, Diolos Guerra, okay. and Kevin Mulvey. Do I have, do I have the stat wrong then? Yeah, I, I, I need to uh, take a look at this one. So, oh, this guy's still playing. Oh, Diolis uh, Guerra. 
He's in the he's on the Padres right now. Beats no, me. I, I, he's on the Pirates. Beats me. No, I, I have never heard of him. Ah, oh, jeez. Baseball Reference screwing me over right now. Yeah, so he played for Pittsburgh in 2015. Was okay. out of the league in 2018, and now he's back with Oakland. I hear. Sorry, this is where I actually uh, actually screwed up. So that 2012 no hitter for Philip Umber. Perfect game. Yes, was with Chicago. Mm-hmm. The catcher technically was AJ Prozinski, but. Ramon Castro caught the first seven innings of the no-hitter. Did you really? Former New York Met. So, uh, two of the players that were dealt to the Twins, not Ramon Castro, but he, he ended up signing with the Twins the, that same year, caught a no-hitter who were also the only two former New York Mets to do that. So, no New York Met is, no former New York Met has thrown a no-hitter in, in, in professional baseball. They, they, they either threw it before going to the Mets... Or just never have. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. So yeah. So with the with the exception of Johan Santana. Yeah. I think no hitters are the biggest flukes in sports. The fact that Mike Fires has two no hitters, and Chris Sale, Jacob Degrom doesn't have a no hitter. Well, well, hey, think Pedro about this. Martinez. L- let's look at, at the most recent winner. So Joe Musgrove, good player, not great. Alec Mills, never even heard of him for the, for a lot of people. Yeah. Lucas Giolito is probably one of the more one, he, he he's certainly relevant. Justin Verlander, all time great. Uh, Mike Fires, kind of irrelevant in the, in the league. His biggest impact in baseball was uh, was calling out the Astros and also uh, smacking Giancarlo Stanton in the face with a ninety mile an hour fastball. James Paxton, Sean Manaya, Edison Volquez in twenty seventeen. This guy was on back in his career. Arietta Scherzer, Arietta again. Fires, Hisashi Iwakuma, out of the league now. Cole Hamill's good. Scherzer are good. Chris Heston no no hit the Mets in 2015. A lot of a lot of folks forget that. Matt Cain threw a perfect game. Yeah, like like Matt Cain, Philip J- Umber, Philip Umber, Matt Garza, Dallas Braden threw a no no. He threw a perfect though. Yeah, but yes, you're right. Jonathan, Jonathan Sanchez with the Giants. I never heard of him. John Lester, like Bud Clay Smith. Buckholtz. Bud Smith. Never. Yeah, I remember Bud Smith <laughs> with I the mean, Cardinals. The thing is, is that they're flukes. Of course, like the good hitter, the good pitchers have their no hitters. Yeah, you know Max Scherzer has his has his two, and Verlander has his three. But Roy Halladay has two. Like, but but, but the, there are so many the outliers. Fact that Mike Fires has the same amount of no hitters as Max Scherzer, <laughs> and more than more than Jacob Degrom. Yeah, more than Garrett Cole, than Pedro Martinez, and Chris Sale. Yeah, like it's it it's 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 insane. All right, Jack, we gotta. We have to talk our final debate of the week, uh, of this week. Yeah. What is this? This is the uh, Mount Rushmore Yeah, debate. so my friends were talking to me uh, on the radio. Not on the radio. I'm so, I'm so dumb. We're on the radio right now. So my friends in my group chat uh, a couple days ago were talking about the Mount Rushmore of, of sports. And the first debate was, was, do you need one person from the big four? And the the initial debate was no because then you'd have to leave off people like Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. But then the, then the idea was what constitutes the Mount Rushmore? So so there was two, and and, and we're going to kind of talk about talk about both because the last one's actually really funny. The Mount Rushmore uh, of sports who deserves to be on it? Do Olympians go on it? Is it just pro just major sports that, that are constantly always happening? What's your uh, opinion there? I mean, the fact that you're, you you sprung this on me before we even got on the like just just before we got on the air today. So 
Well, like it, 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 we had a long debate about this, including players that should be on the list, which is which is another thing that, well, that we'll see, talk about. Like, obviously, here's the thing, like how do you get? Like, are we talking currently? Like current active professional no, athletes? No, no, like, like just like all time. Who deserves to be on the list? Is it based on I overall mean, like, skill, or is it based on your legacy in the game? I mean, like, like, how do you determine that? Like, like obviously, like off the top of my head, the only two guys that I would solidify, like one hundred percent, put on that Mount Rushmore are Wayne Gretzky and. Michael Jordan. Only I agree. two. The only I two agree. guys that I can confidently be like, they are the greatest that, ever. But that's it, half yeah. of them. But that's half of them. Well, I mean, I certainly think think that it would be there. But like, for example, what, but like, do you, one of the do you, what do you put on a civil rights activist like Jackie Robinson, who played only ten years of Major League Baseball? Yeah. Do you put on a guy like LeBron James, who maybe bought, you know, maybe like lucked out and got four championships? Do you put a guy like uh, Michael Phelps? Who is the greatest indi- Olympian of all time? But put an in, but played an individual yeah. sport. Well, I Same think with like Roger Federer, Serena Williams, like there's Tiger so many, Woods. There's so many different aspects that you can't like confidently say, okay, yeah, 100. percent There is there are four people that I can conf- in the history of professional sports. The only two guys that I can say that I would definitely put on are Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan. I don't even I don't know jack squat about hockey. So well, there's no one who's ever going to equate to. Wayne Gretzky. He is literally the greatest hockey player to ever live, and I don't think there's going to be a player who's going to ever come close to that. But you're right. I think Gretzky and Jordan are locks on that list. And then we were debating uh, it, it, if it's one football player to, to be on the list. Is it Brady? Is it Lawrence Taylor, the greatest uh, defensive player possibly ever? Mm-hmm. Is it Jerry Rice, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time? Actually, the best wide receiver of, of all yeah, time? I'm- Some said Randy Moss. Like, uh, like there, there's a lot of different ways to go there. And then even in baseball, is Babe Ruth really the greatest baseball player ever? I would say Ted Williams. Uh, Ted Williams, or I would say Randy Johnson, or I would say Nolan Ryan. I'd say Hank Aaron. Barry Bonds. I mean, Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds is, yeah. he's in that conversation, though. Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't just ignore the fact that he's the all-time home run hitter. So you had to say, if you, if you, if you, if you had to give, give, me a, give me a Mount Rushmore, I can give you my first if you'd like. I mean, we All can right, kind of well, this here, but get, uh, can I? Can we just keep it? Can we? Can we? Uh, <laughs> gosh darn! Because I can think of the individual players, and I can make my own. I can make well, like, three Mount Rushmore. Well, well like, so mine, my personal is Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and LeBron. Okay. Because let's be honest, there's no one who's going to ever be like LeBron ever again. There's no one who's going to ever be like Jordan ever again. No one will ever touch Wayne Gretzky, and I think Tiger Woods is the, great, is the greatest individual sport athlete of all time. Um, I think outside of like Usain Bolt I'll, and Michael Phelps, but again, I'll, Olympians I don't think I'll should enter it. the list. I'll amend it. I'll amend it. Why? I'll amend it. You oh, you don't think Olympians should just enter the because? List? Although yes, it's the greatest stage. It only happens every four years, and and the window for success is so small. I feel like Tiger Woods has been he's been on tour for twenty years, and he has more wins than Jack Nicklaus, and he has more tournament wins than anybody else. So I think like start, like those kind of things are, are different. I think Olympic medals, although yeah, it's the greatest athletes in those sports, like. The the it's competition accomplishment. It's the, it's the biggest competition pool. Yeah, but like in swimming, there aren't many. In golf, there there have been thousands of players over the last twenty years that that have gone 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 up against Tiger, right. even the legends prior to him. All right, so I'll go. Uh, it's Gret- tough. Gretzky, Jordan, Brady. Brady's all, Brady's all my my fifth. If I had to take, sti- I I can't put LeBron up there just because of the fact that you know he 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 he's moved around so much. If I had to take anybody off, it would be LeBron, and it would be four. Uh, Tom Brady. Okay, so I'm going Gretzky, Jordan, Brady, uh, and then like I want to put Tiger Woods because of because of mm-hmm. all the reasons you mentioned. 
Um, but I also like I want to put a woman on there like Serena Williams. Serena, Serena, yeah, would deserve it. I want to put, I want to put, you know, Roger Federer, Roger Federer, Federer could be on I there. Put, I want, I want Usain Bolt. Yeah, but again, I, again, like, again so the limits are tough. And I can't, I can't put a, someone to represent baseball. And also, like, I think that we will see someone like LeBron again. I don't think we'll see someone like Michael Jordan again just because of the, you know, just because of the accolades that he racked up with, mm-hmm. you know, a, a dying franchise at the time that he joined him. Yeah. It's so tough. It's so tough because you can make different Mount Rushmore's. You can do them for civil rights activists that played professional sports. Of course, yeah. You can do them for women, for men, for hockey, baseball, basketball, whatever it is. You can do them for all those things. I'm curious then. What is your female? What's your female Mount Rushmore? Um, Serena Williams. Yeah. Billie Jean King. Okay. Um, Megan, great Re- Megan Rapino. Okay. Uh, and then, then then I Sue Bird probably. Just off the top of my head. Okay. Off the top of my head. And then for, like, civil rights, I can go, like, Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson. Well, not not, uh, not Jesse Owens. It was... Um, Jesse Owens was an all-time great track runner, but he wasn't the... Uh, he was the greatest. Yeah, but he... At, he, at his time. But in terms of civil rights... Uh, well, he, he, he was right in the middle of World War II, right in the middle of Hitler's... Yeah. Right in the middle of Hitler's rise to power. And that that, that Olympics was in... Was in... Um, was in um, Germany that year. Yeah, but uh, but if, I, if I'm going to think uh, civil rights activists, I would think of Tommy Smith and John Carlos with the uh, the Black Power at the Olympic ceremony. Put yeah, in there too. I mean, like, there's just so many like there's so many different categories of Mount Rushmore. I can't I can't, and then to pick four of those other Mount Rushmores, it's so hard. It's an impossible task. It is. It's so hard. But so, like in terms of like just greatness, I gotta go. It's just it's Gretzky, Brady. MJ and Tiger probably. All right, me. now the, now here's a funny one that will uh, collapse on because it is eleven seventeen already. We we're talking about the Mount Rushmore of one season wonders. Players to only have oh one good year in sports. <laughs> Jeez, Steve, now I'm into this. <laughs> we might be going the rest of the forty. So here's, <laughs> well, 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 hold on. I have a Zoom call at noon, so I got to so we got to break it with at, at least eleven fifty. But here's the thing: there have been so many people, whether it be Jeremy Lin for two weeks. Or Peyton Hillis for a season. Who yeah. Peyton Hillis is by far on that list. Yeah, no, there's no one who, <laughs> who can have a thousand. Dude, listen to this. Peyton Hillis had 1,300 rushing yards with the, with the Browns and 700 receiving yards. He was almost a 2,000 yard all-purpose player. Graced the cover of Madden and never had more than 700 yards combined in any other season. Peyton Hillis was an absolute bust following that one year, and the, he was on the Madden cover. Like, how, think about every player to be to be on Madden. Richard Sherman has still had a had a great career. Tom Brady, one of the greats. Drew Brees, one of the greats. Uh, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, like big time. Like there's, I cannot tell you if there's ever been a player. What maybe Donovan McNabb to be on the on the Madden cover and suck every other year he's been in the league. I mean, I can think Josh Hamilton. Well, Josh Hamilton had like a four-year run. It was like a three or four-year run, but also but, the, but like Hall of Famer, then had the, but then just completely, you know, had, had a relapse. Had the, had the worst downfall in the history of sports. Yeah, but like one season though, one season wonders. Does Jeremy Lin fit that for, for only having two weeks of insanity? Yeah, because one that's one season though. Like I can't think of like crazy one. I mean, like if Randy Rosarina doesn't pan out. Yeah, I mean him. I would argue Daniel Murphy. No, because he was an all. He was a he was a couple time all star. Yeah, but 
but again, you got to realize that that in baseball, every, every team has to have one All Star, and and mm-hmm. the and outside of that, that outside of 2015, when he had that terrific year with his what, 12 home runs in the in the playoffs, which was more than he had the whole season, anyways, he only made the playoffs because there was no other player on the Mets that was worthy of a playoff spot of a All Star game spot. The thing was like a two like a two two time All Star. Yeah, he yeah he hit 300 traditionally. But I don't think he ever had that one elite season. Like, yeah, he hit 300, but it wasn't a, it wasn't this like storybook season. I, I wouldn't think. I mean, he hit over 300 for his career. I think he did, yeah. So I mean, like, he's not like a, yeah, he's a three-time All Star, two-time Silver Slug Award winner. He, but that one season was was like the apex. And he never ever reached that again. I mean, he's he led the league in slugging and OPS his first was year that? with the Nationals. Second in MVP voting. That was in 2016. He was second. In, he was second in the voting. Yeah, dude. 2016. Who would have won MVP that year for the National League? 2016. Mike Trout won it for the American League. Wasn't it oh, Scherzer? It was Chris Bryant. <laughs> Chris Bryant won it. Wow. Yeah. Um. That's another guy you can definitely put in that category. Potentially. Chris, Chris Bryant. Um. Jeez. It just it just continues to get one season wonders are are so are so hard to. Think about, it, but like I mean, Peyton like, Hillis and Jeremy Lin certainly cracked the list for me. You're Donald Ventura. Oh, rest in peace. I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to think about guys that <laughs> I balled out for. Just like any rookie of the year that never panned out to be anything else, right? I mean, Aaron Judge is on pace for that. <laughs> the amount of injuries that he's had. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Um, Would Giancarlo stand? Because no, because he was a home run king for four years. Same with Nelson Cruz. Yeah, and now you're right. Uh, well, Giancarlo Stanton's interesting because Mike Stanton is a lot different than Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know what? I'll, I'm going to throw Mike Stanton on there because he had the one like 40 home run year. But then it wasn't until he he, he became Giancarlo that, that he became this uh, home run or bust kind of guy. Like, it, think about it. Yeah, true, true, true. Ah, uh, goodness gracious. This... In the NFL, though, in the NFL, like, okay, Cam Newton. True. Cam Newton. Yeah. A unanimous MVP. And then just dipped. And then just completely bad. You know, Lamar Jackson maybe in the same in the same sense. Um, who else is who else could be there? Um, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think all the NBA guys that you named like like Jeremy. Lynch. Oh, um, what's his face? Uh, who was the running back from Alabama who had one good season and then he just totally uh, fell off the face of the earth? He went to Alabama, played for the Browns. Was it Trent Richardson? Oh, he was on the cover of Madden, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. 2012? Uh, Peyton Hillis. That's what I said earlier. Oh. Ah, oh, jeez, I can't. I... Hold on. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Trent Richardson. Yes, Trent, Trent Richardson. He had one really good year with the Browns. He was, a, he was a first-round draft pick, and then he just absolutely fell off the face of the earth after that after his rookie year, and he was like, he, he was like, like, like the third overall pick. Mm-hmm. He had one good year, and that was it. Vince Young could, could, could fit in there. Um, do you remember uh, Rex Grossman? Rex Grossman, yes. Played play for Chicago. He had one. He had one good year. Oh, RG three. Robert Griffin the third. Yeah. RG three had that one playoff season, and then he tore his ACL, and nothing ever panned out after that. Yeah, uh, absolutely insane. I, the, again, like we could just go on forever. So I mean, geez, Louise, it's just crazy to think about. It's crazy to think about. Like one time, like guys that just fell off. You know, Josh Hamilton's one of those guys. I just think about how good he was, and then just how just how quickly it all just fell apart for him. Oh yeah, he was he was terrific. He was he really was. Trying trying to think of other baseball players that that have uh, that have had these 
these drop offs, like absolutely like ridiculous ones. Um, it's, hmm. it's hard because baseball is like a sport where it takes Addison a Russell. Time. Nah, he was never. I mean, like he was good. He wasn't great. He just he was good because he played for the Cubs during their during their dreams. Yeah, yeah, but he was he was a number one uh, overall draft pick. No, he wasn't. Was he Addison well, Russell? He because remember he was with Oakland and he got traded. Was it, wasn't he the number one overall pick and the, and then he got dealt? Uh, he was the eleventh overall pick. Sorry, he was the number one rated prospect in baseball. That's what, that's what I'm thinking of. Yes, he was. But but th- then he got dealt. He was an all star. Ah, you know what? I'll give that one to you. He was an all star. He was an all star a year. He hit two thirty eight. My was an all-star. my friends uh, texted me Billy Hamilton, but Billy Hamilton really only had that like that like months long clip where he had like forty stolen bases. Jacoby Ellsbury. No, nah, but he had, he had sustained success for for a couple but of years. He had that one MVP season. A guy hadn't hit above ten home runs for his entire season. All of a sudden, hits thirty two. <laughs> you know, like, that's a number. I mean, like that's that's a that's a one hit wonder for sure. Technically speaking, and granted, granted, he's he's only uh, been on tour for four years. with Jordan Spieth in twenty seventeen had that ridiculous year, and it wasn't. Think about it. He hadn't won prior to last week or two weeks ago. Roy McIlroy too. Roy McIlroy was good. He he was the world number one for like three years. He was very good. But Jordan Spieth won uh, two majors, or actually three majors, and a slew of tournaments in 2017, but then, but then didn't have a win for another three years until two weeks ago. Jeez. So, like, that's a... That, granted, he still, has a, he still has a long time, but as of right now, I would consider that, because that was a huge drop-off. Like, like, like that, that was an all-time fallout. I'm trying to, trying to think if there's anybody else who, who really does fit the mold. Is there anybody else in... Hockey, we don't know enough about to to make that call, but there there have been plenty uh, college players to go to the NBA that had ridiculous March Madnesses and then never did anything else, like Frank Kaminsky or Sam Decker. Uh, there have Chris, been Chris Jenkins, yeah, Chris Jenkins. They're like he, even like Greg Oden. <laughs> granted, yeah, gr- he, he was in the NBA for. Granted, Greg Oden ha- had a had the injury bug when he was in Portland, but yeah. What what other NBA players? Dwight Howard fell off once he got to the Lakers the first time. Yeah, but Dwight Howard had had six years in Orlando where he was, was the, the he was the in best center in, in, in the world. Yeah, I I I can't I, and I don't want to keep I don't want to keep harping on it because we're probably just making our listeners <laughs> listeners go to sleep at this point. So Chris right, Rush, Chris Rush finally got back to me. <laughs> oh man, on my paper got a seventy. Um, <laughs> it's because I misspelled. Uh, uh, Bertolami. Oh, uh, you misspelled the guy's name. Yeah, I'm sorry, Joe. Oh, my friends are texting me. Eddie Lacy. Oh, Eddie Lacy got fat in like two years. Good one. That's a good one. He was great for. Well, the Packers have never had a history outside of Aaron Jones to have really good running backs, but they had like Ryan Grant for like five years, who wasn't even that great, but he was a consistently top fifteen just because the the running the running back pool in like 20, 2008 was small uh, or nine. But Eddie Lacy came in. He was supposed to be, be like, the, like the nice big thing. Had what one or two decent years, and then he showed at the training camp like forty pounds overweight and never panned out from that point forward. Alabama running backs outside of Derrick Henry have never had great careers. Like 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 Sean Alexander is there, and then like Derrick Henry. But well, he, Mark Ingram's kind of fallen off at, after his first four years in the league. Eddie Lacy didn't pan out. Trent Richardson didn't pan out. Eric and I were were coming up with um you know we're trying we're, we're hard pressed to find a, a, a quarterback from alabama that's had a successful nfl career don't name of 
that's it. But even then, <laughs> Joe Namath. That's why everyone's hesitant on Mac Jones. Do you know Joe Namath is the only quarterback in the Hall of Fame who has more career picks than, than, than touchdowns? I did know. I actually did know that. Yes. Like he was actually a bad quarterback, but the fact that he won that one, the Super Bowl that one award. My friends are are writing in uh, one season wonders Jose Fernandez. That's that's totally false. That's, yeah, Jose, Jose Fernandez had, had three actually, years of being say, I was gonna elite. Say, I was going to say Jose Fernandez, but he was the best pitcher in baseball when he died. He was absolutely incredible. So you can't say Jose Fernandez. Jose Fernandez had he actually played his play, play, play career Hall here possibly one of the greatest pitchers ever exactly that's, but he was he nah, was, was that dominant a terrible take think about it he had Yasiel Puig he had a 40 game run where he had like 12 home runs had 30 stolen bases in like 55 games something like that he, he was insane that rookie year and then then obviously his, his clubhouse antics got, got the best of him but Jose Fernandez terrible take first year in the league went 12 and 6 and 28 games had a 219 ERA Eight games the next year, two four four. Eleven games the next year, two had nine Tommy two. John, had Tommy John in between. You're right. And then his final year, a two eight six. Yeah, like best pitcher in baseball. He was so good. Best pitcher in baseball. I mean, Max Scherzer is there, but <sighs> Anibal Sanchez for the Tigers. He's he's been so on and off for oh, for so many Weeks years for the Brewers. <laughs> <laughs> and his brother too, Jamel Weeks. Jamel Weeks. Both were overrated players. Yeah, definitely. Uh, trying to think of... Uh, th- there have been so many baseball, baseball players that, that have had... Almost anybody for the Mets. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Uh, who was their catcher? Something something Brandon? Brandon? The, the Mets catcher? Yeah, Brand, something Brandon. Brandon Flowers? No. Tyler Flowers for, for a year? <laughs> but he wasn't... That was like prior to like... That, that was like after three decent years of... With the Braves, say like, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we have we have the guys Rick Porcello for the Red Sox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rick Porcello ha- had that one. Well, Cy Young well, he had the Cy Young year, but he was, he, he had like a four five ERA the year. Anyways, he was a bad pitcher. No, he was. He had the lowest ground ball. He had like the lowest ground ball rate. Didn't give up any home runs. But he but he had a four ERA. Yeah, but there's more than ERA now, and then also like. You know, you can dispute the voting all you want, but well, he, it's not he, like Justin Verlander was better than him that year. Yeah, but he won it because he had like twenty wins. But wins and losses shouldn't matter in in the uh, in the outcome here. Here, let's look here. Rick he Porcello, 20, twenty-two wins. He did not have a four. Or, he had oh, a yeah, three-one-five, which is good. Yeah, uh, but he he was the first pitcher since two thousand seven to win the AL Cy Young and have over a three ERA. Also led the league in strikeouts. Um, Strikeouts per win. What well, the league in strikeouts? Per what? win. Per, okay, all right, per win. So he had almost six strikeouts per per win, and also like that's an advanced that that's an advanced stat though that I can't really get behind. ERA plus one four two. Do you know that the last the last oh and and here you go, the last NL Cy Young winner to have over a three ERA. Can you guess who it was? Another irrelevant pitcher who uh, who had a couple who actually had one of those one one year wonders. A pitcher with a three RA. Yeah, he's the last Is NL Cy Young winner. Probably, yeah. He's the last NL Cy Young winner to have o- to have over a three ERA. Prior to him, the last over three ERA was in never. Oh, sorry, uh, nineteen seventy. Bob Gibson was the was the last one prior to him. This is this actually is a, is a, a one season wonder. Which kind of works? What year? Two thousand three. Oh jeez. Oh sorry, two thousand six. Oh. Uh, I'm so dumb. If it was 2003, I would have said um, Eric Gagne. It was Eric Gagne, but... Wait, you know, you're capping. What? You're capping. Did I get it right? Yeah. First, dude. Oh, oh there's Gagne. 
2006. This is the this is the last thing we're going to talk, we're going to talk about because our listeners are, listeners are literally falling asleep at the wheel. 2006, play for the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. Had 100, had 178 strikeouts, the lowest total since Eric Gagne to have to have the uh, to win the Cy Young. Actually, he's the only starting pitcher outside of uh, Trevor Bauer to have under 200 strikeouts and win the Cy Young. And obviously, Bauer won it because of the of the uh, 60 game year. Jeez. 2006. Can you guess who it is? 2006, the Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, for, play for the Diamondbacks. Uh, was it um, Jake Peavy? No. Ah. Brandon Webb. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that. Really? I mean, like I know who it is, but I wouldn't think that he would. Brandon Webb was an was a elite level pitcher in that like very early two thousands mode. You know you're bad when your Wikipedia p- page isn't even you pitching. It's you at like a red carpet event. <laughs> like you're a pro player. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah. So the, so the the Mount Rushmores are hard to come up with, but the Mount Rushmores of, of one season wonders are possibly even harder. Yeah. Because there because there have been there, there's so few far few and far between. To figure out like who was really the best worst. Like Eric Gagne. Well Eric, well, Eric Gagne was always was, was always a solid player. Yeah, he was. He was. I'll give him that. Well, Jack, another hour that or another hour and a half that we wasted your time. No, <laughs> we had some. We, all right, the first hour was very good. The the debate dried on a little bit, but that was also just like a. I think, I think we were just getting. I think we were just getting into our bag, which isn't bad. Which isn't bad. You know, solid content. Always fun. That'll go on social. Always fun. Alrighty, well. What about like the worst Hall of Famers? Who do you think the worst Hall of Famers are? Uh, I mean, that's a debate for a different day. But I think we'll, the I think, worst Hall think, of Famers what? next week. Next week, you and I were coming up. We're coming up with a list of our worst Hall of Famers. So that's our tease. I think Joe Namath should actually be on that list. I think we have a big show next week. Do we not? Yeah. Well, let's not spoil. All right, here. I'm not going to spoil anything, but you should all go on social media and follow us because we are going to have a very hectic show next week. It's it, it's uh <laughs> nobody getting quarantined between now and then. Oh, Jack! I swear to God. Hey, it, look, Nick Champanelli, he's he's over it. Vote Nick Champanelli. We're WQAQ unofficial ad- endorsement, but Mac and Main Show endorsing Nick Champanelli for SGA president. president. We are a hundred percent on board with him. So love Nick. He he's a great guy. Go vote Nick Champanelli. When's tomorrow. the polls tomorrow? Tomorrow eight a.m. Oh yeah, we'll be ready All tomorrow. Right, go vote. Gentlemen, that's gonna do it for us here. At the Mac and Main Show, be sure to go follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you miss an episode of Mac and Main, you can go find them on iTunes, Spotify, and then pretty much any other platform that you can think of. Shout out to Anchor FM. Folks, that's going to do it for us. For Jack Main and Steve McAvoy, we promise that we will try to do better next week. So long. You are listening to 98.1 WQAQ.